0: Before we get diving into our topic today, I just wanted to throw out an opportunity for you to help some people. Every once in a while we do something called Dollar Club, and and that's a terrible name, but that's all I could come up with. But that's just where we realize that if everybody chips in a little bit, we can do a lot of good. And right now we have an opportunity, something tragic to happen on the other side of the world with people that we're connected with. As you know, we have orphanages in Thailand. Some of you know that. But not a a part of that is another place on the Burma border with Thailand. We also help refugees. These are Burmese refugees who have fled the civil war there. um, And just a lot going on. Well, uh, they've been living in refugee camps in Thailand. Thailand, because of the COVID thing, shut those refugee camps down. A lot of those people needed food, so they went back to Burma. Some of the families that went back there were in an area where four uh, of the four boys were playing. These are refugee boys that we're kind of connected to, not any of our orphans. But, uh, but they were playing with some rocks, like, like, almost like you'd play marbles. And then they saw something that looked like a rock. One of the, one of the boys reached for it, and it was a trigger for a landmine, and it, it got all four of them. And uh, when that happened, that, that caused some severe injuries. They were taken to a hospital. in that part of the world... Uh, If you don't have money, it's not a good thing uh, because sometimes you're denied to come in or sometimes they'll, if it's an emergency, they'll take care of you. But as soon as they figure out that you're probably not going to be able to pay, they actually want you to leave. If you support Grace, as Mike was saying earlier, then you've helped us send some emergency money over there real quick to keep them in the hospital the last few days. But I just thought I'd throw that out as an opportunity uh, we, we would like to try to help these families with food and medicine for these kids, these four kids. My understanding is two of these kids came from a Christian family and two from a, a Buddhist family, which is the majority religion there. And, uh, and so if you'd like to help, you can do Dollar Club. And the way we do that is you can grab your phone if you want to do it by text. You can text this number, 84321. And then in the message, you, put, you type the word dollar space, and then be very careful after that because whatever you put there, that's the amount of dollars. So dollar space one, you would be giving $1 if you're set up to do that. Or dollar space five, that would be $5. So be careful with that. Or you can go to the church center app. Some of you are already connected to that. And then if you go there, just look for the fun dollar club that changes uh, different things that we're doing. But right now it's medical aid and, uh, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. And then next Sunday, I'll report back on how they're doing and how that went. You know, we realize there's needs all over the world, but just sometimes there are needs that we're connected to. And in this case, we're connected to some pastors who know these families and have been ministering them and helping these kids. The other thing it does is it also, because this flows through the pastors. And then it helps them and their witness and their ability to share the gospel. And so you kind of get double bang for your buck. So uh, we would love for you to give to that. Every cent uh, of this will go to medical needs uh, for those uh, people in that area. So throw that out there. Um, They live in a country, by the way, 95 or so percent uh, Buddhist. And that kind of leads us into our topic for today. We're talking about in this series, Dumb Things Smart People Believe. And the one that we want to talk about today is something that we hear a lot, if you're listening, and, it'll, and it says this, there are many paths to God. There are many paths to God, a dumb thing that smart people believe. Jesus, of course, makes a different claim that he is the only way. And by the way, if you're a Christian, you cannot be a Christian and believe there are many ways to God. So if you're kind of thinking, "Hey, well that 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 kind of makes sense to me," and you consider yourself a Christian, I'm here to tell you, you're not a Christian. And maybe by the time we get done talking today, you'll you'll be able to see that for yourself. So um, here's uh, we're going to jump into. Uh, the clearest passage where Jesus says himself that he's the only way, and that's in John 14. But just before I read from there, I would like to, to set up the context a little bit. Uh, this is right before Jesus is crucified. It's the evening before uh, John, the book of John 13 is telling us that they uh, uh, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. They have the communion in the upper room. They institute that. They're talking Jesus is telling them that he's going to be gone for a little while. They're not really getting that. They don't like hearing that. And then Peter makes his statement about, you know, I would never deny you. And Jesus says, you know, before morning breaks, you'll have denied me three times. All this is happening. And Jesus is basically telling them in the preceding chapter, hey, I'm going to go away for a little bit. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And they have a bunch of questions. They're confused. They don't get it. And so then Jesus is kind of responding to that. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. Here's what Jesus says. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? This is where... Thomas gets a bad rap in a lot of the Bible. I don't know if you noticed this. It seems like every time he shows up, he's like, I don't believe you, Jesus. I don't see this as going. But now here, he probably shouldn't get that bad of a rap because he's not saying, I don't get it. He's saying, we don't get it. He's just the one that voices it. I'm not getting this, Jesus. I'm not following here. What is going on? He's saying, and Jesus said, you know the way. And Thomas said, no, we don't know the way. We don't know what you're talking about. You talk in riddles, it seems like, half the time. We're not following. We're not getting it. What are we missing? And then here's what Jesus has to say. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, that verse just has an enormity of information and truth. For us to unpack. And, and we can do a whole series just on that one verse. But I want to quickly just help. Well, we'll see how quickly. But I want us to see two things. Basically, I want us to see Jesus' claim. And then I want us to see Jesus' challenge. Because Jesus is issuing a challenge here in the second part. So Jesus' claim, Jesus' challenge. Now, the first claim is he says... I am the way. Jesus is saying, I am the way. This is, it's interesting the dynamic here because this is just hours before Jesus knows that he's going to be brutalized on the cross. And he tells them, hey, I'm getting ready to leave, but but I'll, you know, I'm going to go for a little while, but it's going to be okay. And then they're like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. But Jesus, he's so caring for them, he's like, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. He's preparing them for his death. Some bad things are going to happen. Don't let your heart be troubled. And that's what he's saying. He, and he's saying, but, and why not your heart should be troubled? Because before I leave and in my leaving, I am going to make a way For you to reconnect to God. I'm going to make a bridge. I'm going to make a way for you and by extension all of us as sinful people to be reconnected with a holy and righteous God. I'm going to make a way, create a way for that to happen. By the way, do you remember what early Christians were called before they were called Christians. They were called followers of the way. That's what Christians were called. Oh, those, those followers of the way before they were called little Christ, which is Christians. And not only is Jesus saying he's the way, but then secondly, he's saying, I am the truth. I am the truth. Now, Mathematics, like all truth, reminds us that there's only one way to be right, but there are many ways to be wrong. How many experienced that in math class? There's only one answer that's right, but you could come up with all kinds of creative answers, but they're just wrong. That's truth. Real objective truth exists. And, God, and Jesus is the supreme revelation of God and truth. And Jesus is not only truth, but he also tells us the truth about ourselves, which is not so pleasant. And that is, the truth is, we all have issues. We are all not righteous. We all have a problem. Now, we can try to be good, we can try to be righteous, but the prophet Isaiah pointed out, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, in the sight of God, because God is so holy and so righteous. We cannot approach his righteousness, is what he's saying. So Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and then he says, I am the life. I am the life. And though Jesus is preparing a place for us, because that's what he said, hey, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. So we can think, oh, yeah, so there's this place, that's called heaven, that he's prepared for his followers. You know, it could be, there could be, a, a, you know, it could have been that God set it up where, okay, as soon as we become Christians, boom, we're transported to heaven. You know, become a Christian, bam, but that's not, that's not the way, that doesn't happen. We're not transported to heaven because that's not what God intends for us. God not only gives us life in the future, God gives us life right now on this earth. Our new life starts the day that we put our faith in Christ. Because that day he fills us with his spirit and he fills us with gratitude and wonder. He fills us with a desire to follow him, a desire to point other people to the truth that we have found. And it's not about earning our own righteousness. Well, well, but Kevin, what what about you know, you're saying uh, the life, but God's told us how to live, right? He's told us how to live. God's standard is good and it's right for life. The problem is our hearts rebel, our hearts rebel. And by the way, when God's saying, do this, don't do that, when he's given us these commands how we should live, he's not doing that to take anything away from us. He's not doing that to limit us in some way. He's, doing a, he's telling us this information so that we could experience the deepest life possible, so we could experience life abundantly, life the way God intended life to be, the way the creator intended it to be. He's not after grudging submission. He's telling us, hey, this is the way to do life. And and so all those things, whether he's talking about marriage or relationships or anything else in life that he speaks to, who knows better how to do life than our creator? He's just telling us that. He's the way, the truth, and the life. That's Jesus' claims. But here's where I want to dial in a little deeper. Jesus' challenge. See, the next part is his challenge to us. And the challenge is, there is no other way to God except through Jesus. Now, well, why is that a challenge, Kevin? That's a challenge because it's made in a religiously pluralistic culture. Then, And the same thing is happening today. Then in the first century, remember that that part of the world was dominated by Rome. Rome had conquered all these countries, most of the countries. So it was the biggest empire in the world at the time. And when Rome conquered different areas, different people groups, uh, then what would happen is they would all have their own gods and some of those were geographical or regional gods, and some of those were gods of war or gods of love or whatever the case may be, they would all have their own gods. And so Rome said this, hey, that's okay. Keep your own gods. I mean, now we're running the show here. You can keep worshiping your own god. There's just one rule. You can't say your god is supreme to other gods. Because that's going to cause problems. Number one, a lot of people saw Caesar as God, so that wasn't going very well. But besides that, if somebody did claim, hey, well, my God's superior to every other God, then those people might make the case that, well, since my God's superior, maybe I should be running the show here rather than you guys with a lesser God. You know, so it's Rome just came in to keep the peace. They said, hey, Keep your gods, worship your gods. There's just one rule. You can never say that your God is superior to anybody else's God. That is exactly how religious pluralism is working in our culture today. We have this. Hey, you can worship whatever you want. You can have freedom of religion. Don't, just don't say that your religion is better than anybody else's. That's what we hear. And his challenge has its target right with us. We have politically correct social elitists making sure that nobody claims that their religion, almost always that's Christianity, nobody claims that their religion is superior to anybody else's. They, by the way, when they do that, they're forcing their religious view all religions are equal and none's any better than the other on everybody else when they do that. But this plays out every day in our culture. Religious pluralism is saying that it says you can't say that your religion is better than any other religion. By the way, if that nominee was Muslim, do you think he would have been questioned like that? No, no. This only kind of works one way. By the way, Muslims believe their way is the only way too, but you're never going to hear it that way. But that's beside the point. Religious pluralism is saying you can't say your religion is better than any other religion. And if you do, then you're accused of the worst crime of the age, intolerance. That's the accusation just to say that. But Jesus... He issued a direct challenge against religious pluralism. He said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's exclusive. And by the way, if you consider yourself a Christian here today and you're thinking, wow, that sounds a little narrow, that sounds a little, I'm not, not sure I'm comfortable with that. You need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because that's not how a Christian should be thinking. Because Jesus said this, no one comes to the Father but through me, that's not Kevin. That's Jesus, right? So there are a lot of pushbacks on this, and I just want to quickly kind of go through some of these things. Uh, I'll just talk about four of them. Four of the common pushbacks that we hear about the exclusivity of Christianity. All right. Number one, people will say, "Well, to say there's only one way, that's super arrogant." That that is arrogant, and and then a lot of times when People, and it's really not arrogant, as actually it can be arrogant to say that, but whatever. A lot of times people use, do you remember the the parable from India where the three blind men describe the elephant? How How many remember that? You know, three blind men are describing an elephant. They're blind, they can't see it, so they're asked to describe the elephant. So one guy goes up and he feels the elephant's like, he feels the side of the elephant like the elephant's like a wall. You know, that's what an elephant's like, it's just like a wall. And then another guy comes up, and he grabs the trunk of the elephant, and he's feeling that is like, wow, the elephant's just like a snake. You know? And then a third guy comes up, and then he, he bumps into the tusks of the elephant. He goes, no, no, an elephant's exactly like a spear. And then the moral of the story is, you know, they all had their little piece of truth, but none of them saw the whole picture. You know, that's the moral, right? We all following this? People will use that on religion, and they'll say, you see, all religions have some truth, but no religion has the whole truth. Now, here's the problem with saying that or using that story as an example, because the person telling you the story, they're claiming they see it all. Oh, you don't see it. Oh, you think you're, well, let me tell you what's wrong, because I can see the whole picture. You're only seeing part of it. That's arrogant. That's arrogant. When they say, oh, I see the whole picture. And you can't. You're blind to it. You only see a piece. People flip that all around. People in religions, they're saying are blind, except me. So let me explain to you what's happening here. You're just seeing a piece of it. Using this to claim that all religions have some truth, but not all truth. It's doing the very thing that you're telling others not to do a dean at Stanford University. He made a proclamation to stop, to prohibit all um, students from sharing their faith on campus. And so when he did that, he put out a statement. Here's how the statement goes. Do not proselytize. All faiths are equally valid as religions. So that's his statement. He makes the law. So basically saying, you can't say someone's religion is wrong because I can see better than you and I know they're all equal. By the way, that statement can only be true because religions are mutually exclusive. Several religions say we're the only way. That, That statement could only be true if all religions are false. But what that dean is saying is my religious view that all religions are equal is superior to your religious view if you think one of those religions are superior to the other. He's doing the exact same thing that he's telling students not to do. That's arrogance and hypocrisy. But that's not really where Christians are coming from. It's not arrogance. Christians don't say, hey, we have a superior vantage point. Hey, we're... We're smarter than you are. Well, but Kevin, you're saying Jesus is the only way. Yeah, but we're not saying that because we're better, smarter, that we think we have something over you. We're just saying there's this guy, Jesus, who died and three days later rose from the dead and we believe what he says. That's it, we're not smarter, we just believe him. It's not arrogant. It's actually one of the humblest of all truth claims. You're just saying, I believe him. Another pushback. It's a personal choice. Hey, you can't talk to me about religion. Religion's all just a personal choice. But, well, that's why I'm talking to you. Because, yeah, it's a personal choice. It is a personal choice. You have a choice whether to believe Jesus is who he says he is. We want you to have that choice. We support you of having the choice whether to believe or not believe in Jesus. But the fact is, when people are saying this, hey, it's a personal choice, a lot of people, they've just come to realize, I want to live my personal life however I want to. And I don't want to buy into any system or religion that will make me feel like I have to do certain things. And so I'm going to hide behind the little phrase, many paths to God. And if there are many paths to God, then there's really no one path to God. And so I don't really have to submit to anything. And so I can just reject them all and feel good about it. Because there's many paths. Who knows? Many paths to God. It's just kind of a cop-out. Another pushback is people would say, well, claiming to be, well, let me back up just a little bit. Here's what what it says in Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which to be saved. And people would say, well, that's so exclusive. It just seems so narrow. Well, it's an exclusive claim, but actually Christianity is the most inclusive religion in the world. It's the most inclusive exclusivity that there is because Christianity says all can come. Some religions, you have to be a certain race. Some religions are teach that, well, if you're wealthy, then that means you have God's favor, and if you're poor, that means you're not good with God. Christianity rejects that. That rejects the whole race thing, rejects the whole social status thing. It says, everybody's welcome. Everybody could come. And if that's not your religion, just about every religion in the world says, well, you have to be this moral to come, so moral people can come. Christianity doesn't do that. Christianity says, hey, if you're immoral, you can come. Every, it's the most inclusive of all religions in the world. Some people would claim third pushback. Hey, claiming one way to God is divisive. It separates people, you're saying you know, one way. Man, think it through historically. Christianity was born in an age, and it was born out of. Judaism that was all pointing to Christianity. At a time when Jewish men prayed every day, God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. A Gentile is non-Jewish, like all we are, mostly probably. God, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That's what's happening at the time. Now, Christ is crucified. Three days later, he's resurrected. Acts tells us about how the church just explodes across the scene. But who do we keep seeing in Acts that are becoming saved? The majority of the people, who are they? They're Gentiles. They're slaves, many of whom are also women Gentiles and women slaves. That's where the church begins. The church tears down all those walls. The gospel is no respecter of person. In the first century, Greeks and Romans, they wouldn't mix with social status, with money. Romans and Jews wouldn't mix races. Christianity tears all that down. The gospel produced the most inclusive community the world has ever known and still does. Fourth pushback. People say, well, Kevin, when you're saying that there's only one way to God, Then that means everybody else is condemned. Kind of that's what we saw on the tape, right? Hey, do Muslims in the world stand condemned? Yeah. Do Jewish people stand condemned? Yeah. We all stand condemned. We're all the same. We all stand condemned. Jesus is giving us the one way not to stand condemned, to step out of that condemnation. We all deserve condemnation. We're not better than anybody else. Some people will be saying, man, Kevin, you got to be kidding. Christianity the only way? You're telling me you think that like over half the world is going to be separated from God forever? Yeah. Yeah, right now, I believe that. But let me explain to you why. It's because Christianity is the opposite of every other religion in the world, including secular religion. Christianity is the opposite of that. See, all religions of the world are basically, um, it's just moralistic deism. It's, and moralistic deism just means it's a system of rules that we follow to earn favor with God. So all religions in the world are basically just moralistic deism. Here are the rules, here's a list of rules, and if you do these things, you'll have favor with God. You never know really how much favor usually, you don't, never really know if you've crossed the line. or how. But, and then even our secular society believes the same thing. Well, I think if I do this, or I do that, or I stand up for this, or I stand up for that, then that's me being better than other people, so I would deserve to be with God more than other people would. All that's moralistic deism. If there is, that's agnostics. Well, if there is a God out there, you know, I'm going to be a pretty good guy, so God's going to be good with me. Christianity is the opposite of that. Christianity is saying, hey, God has a standard of righteousness that we have all failed, all of us. Christianity is saying moralistic deism will never get you to God. Doing good things, you'll never earn your way into his favor or his presence. The whole idea of Christianity is we can't do it. Well, Kevin, what about the Ten Commandments? And you know I'm big on the Ten Commandments. Every once in a while we go through those, right? We won't do that this time. But we go through those. And what's the point? Because we've all violated these commandments. That's why we go through them, once. So we ought to remind ourselves, oh yeah, oh yeah, ooh, oh yeah. The Ten Commandments were not given to us because we could obey them. The Ten Commandments were given to us to show us that we could not obey them, to show us that God's standard is so much higher than ours that we cannot measure up. We cannot earn our way. His standards are too high because he is perfect, holy, righteous, and we're not. That's the whole idea of the Ten Commandments. Jesus didn't come to give us an updated version of rules to keep. Jesus came to bring us a whole new approach to God. Jesus came to change everything on how we Relate to God. Romans 8.1 says this, Therefore, there is now, interesting, now as opposed to before, something new, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, this new approach that Jesus brought has nothing to do with rules, nothing to do with following this or following that. It's intensely relational. It's not based on what you do or how well you follow. It's based on what Jesus did because he created a new way. And this new way and this new truth, which is just an embodiment of the truth that's always existed, brings a whole new life. Because when we trust in Jesus, when we recognize that we all stand condemned, even us, when we get step away from our own works of self-righteousness, step away from trying to figure out how we're better than other people, and we recognize our sin before God, and when all everything else is stripped away and we're laid bare, a sinner, before him, when we admit it, and then come to realize that there's no way for us to reconcile ourselves to God and that Jesus came to make a way, a new way, by bridging the gap, bridging the chasm, between sinful people and a holy God. And he did that by dying on the cross to pay our punishment for sin, which justice demands. And not only are our sins then forgiven, but God then gives us the righteousness of Christ. He takes our sins, Christ does, and he gives us in exchange Christ's righteousness, and that's how he sees us, and it's not something that we've earned, It's not something that we do. Salvation is all a gift. But when we receive that gift, God's Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And all of a sudden, we react to God with love and gratitude. And the Spirit brings into our lives a desire to want to be more obedient to Him, a desire to follow Him in the areas of our life, out of gratitude, out of knowing truth, experience in the way, then we experience a whole new life that He offers us. Freely. Freely if we will just turn to him in faith and leave all of our self-righteousness behind us. That's what God wants for every person. And that's how you can have a brand new life in Christ because you're off the treadmill of performance. How well am I doing? I didn't measure up. How about this? How about that? All that is forgiven, and now you're free to follow God with a sincere heart. No condemnation. If you're truly a believer, there is no condemnation on you any longer. Let's stand and pray together. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for your truth. We thank you that you sent your son to make a way and that he is a source of new life. Father, for those of us who have placed our faith in you and know we have nothing else to offer, God, we thank you for that greatest gift. And Father, for our friends, for other people, our family who are also listening here in this room or in their homes, in their bedrooms or living rooms or whatever. God, whoever can hear me, if they don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would convict their heart with your spirit, that you would help them to see That you're not giving them a list of rules. You're loving them. And you made a way at great cost to yourself. And it's a gift. You're inviting them back into relationship with you. Intensely personal. Intensely relational. And Father, we pray that they would respond. God, empower us. Help us to interact with our culture and be able to point them to truth and point them to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.